and I went to see Esther the other night, the Sight and Sound production of Esther. How many have seen a Sight and Sound production? They're, they're amazing. I mean, they're really amazing. And if you watch the, the production, if you've read the book of Esther, you know that in the entire book of Esther, if you've read it, the word God is not mentioned one time. The Hebrew religion, Hebrew religion really isn't mentioned one time. The law is not mentioned one time. But if you read the book, you see the, pro- the providence of God directing everything to what God wants to accomplish in the end. The phrase that, that jumps out at you and the one they used to advertise the play is Esther 4.14 and says, and, you, and who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. God's providence. God putting you in a position that you have no idea why. But at that time, God put you there for a specific purpose. Everything laid out in Esther was a plan mapped out by God, even though he's not mentioned one time. Ruth is the same. It's a plan mapped out by God where he is mentioned. The point is of both is whether or not you see God working, whether or not you experience a powerful thing of God in your life, God's will will be accomplished. Now we left off our study of Ruth with Ruth finding a field that just so happened to be the field of Boaz, who just so happened to be a relative by marriage. Boaz took a liking to her and gave her some privileges that were not common back in. We ended with Ruth 2.14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Now we left that off last week and we're gonna pick this up today where as she brings the food home to Naomi, gives it to her and verse 19 says this, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Now, do you see a change in Naomi's attitude? When she came to town, bitter, mad, about, mad at God, uh, things were going on, blaming God for the things in her life, and she assumed at that point that her life and Ruth's life would be just very hard and unrewarding. But now, all of a sudden, Ruth comes home with a basket of food. And one commentator says that she had enough food for two women for nearly a week after one day of harvesting. And Ruth also brought her leftover lunch with her. So she was seeing things provided for her. Now, if you look at this in the grand scheme of things, one week's worth of food. Okay, that's that's good. But that's not a lot. You got months and years to go. You got one week. So why did her attitude change? And I think it changed because we see it in the comment, blessed be the man who took notice of you. She's now recognizing that God is involved, that God is doing something. And you know what that produced in her? Hope. She saw God beginning to work, and now she's getting a little hope. 
How many of you pray for just to see God do something little in your life to let you know he's there? It doesn't have to be anything big. Lord, just, just show me something that lets me know you're there. That's exactly what Ruth or Naomi was experiencing, just something little that God was doing to let her know that God's still there. You know, it's easy to just look, let life happen to you, throw up your hands and say, oh well. Say to no matter what I do, nothing is gonna change, so why expect it to change? How many of you have an attitude like that? It's the way it's gonna be, I can't change it, so I'm not gonna get my hopes up that it does change. And I think that was Naomi's attitude when Ruth came home with the food. Nothing's gonna change. I've resigned myself to the fact that everything's gonna stay the same, it's not gonna get any better, so I'm just gonna continue to be bitter against God. Then the food arrives. Naomi sees the food. And I don't think it was just the food. I think that she realized that maybe God's working here. Maybe this is a thing from God in my life. Not just happenstance, not just an accident or coincidence, but this is actually God moving on my behalf. And I think a lot of times what we experience that we think are coincidences or just an accident is actually God working. I mentioned before, you know, a coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. The things that happen in our life, we may think are just normal, everyday things, when in fact, that's God working in your life. And I think Ruth, or Naomi, was beginning to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Hey, you know what, this situation's not gonna last forever. If God's involved, then there's gonna be an ending to it. And now I begin to have a little bit of hope. And now she's thinking that maybe God didn't cause all this pain, but maybe he's here to help me through it. And we got some horrible news this morning. And that's the kind of stuff you just can't, you can't process. And I can't imagine what Deb and the family are going through. I can't. But that's the time that God's got to come into their life. That's the time where really your faith kicks in. When things don't go exactly like you want or things go horribly wrong in your life. And I think you talked about that in Sunday school this morning. God didn't cause the pain, but God's there to help you through the pain. And at that, she begins to have a little bit of hope. And I think that God, when we get to the end of our rope sometimes and we think, what's the use? I think God throws us a little bit of a lifeline. Just like he did here. Here's a little bit of me working. I'm not gone. I'm there. Here's a little bit of nugget to let you know I'm still there. And that gives us hope. And sometimes God lets us know that, you know what? You are a total mess up. But I still love you. You may not do anything right, but God's there to help you through it. And that gives not only Naomi, but I think that gives us hope. Verse 19 and 20 go on and say, Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name, and I, the name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And not only did she say, Blessed be the man, now she knows who it is. 
And she says, the Lord bless him. Bless Boaz. She goes from bitterness to blessedness. Now she's beginning to bless other people. Instead of wanting something for herself, she sees that God's working, and now her reaction is, Lord, you've been good to me, so now let me bless him. And how many of us, when God is good to us, want to help somebody else? We want to bless somebody else. We realize how good God has been to us. We want to help somebody else. We've experienced that goodness. Maybe they need to experience it as well. And all because God gave her just a little bit of hope. You know, a lot of times we look for the the big miracle or the big answer to prayer when all you need is just a little small event in your life that you know God orchestrated, that God put together and lets you know that God's there, God cares for you. You might not have the full answer to prayer yet, but God's right there. Now, the wording of this verse is kind of confusing. It says, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now that verse sounds like Naomi is saying that Boaz has not stopped working for the living and the dead. But it's actually the way it should be phrased is in the New American Standard that says this, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. So the person he's talking about is the Lord, not Boaz. The Lord is the one who has not stopped showing kindness. The Lord is the one who has been kind to the living and to the dead. Even when you don't feel it, the Lord is showing kindness to you. Remarkable change in Naomi. And I think that God is working that out in her. And you think about situations in your life that are are bad. And you think there's no end to them. God is still the God who can turn that around. And I think all of us need to have that every day. Because then every day there's, there's a great. Some days are terrible. But the Bible says God has not withdrawn his kindness to each one of us. And even if you don't feel it, and I'm sure... Deb and Carl and the family, and they're not feeling the kindness right now. That's when they need to have the Holy Spirit. And when we pray for them, that God just pours that Holy Spirit upon them. So you know, Naomi is coming around to faith and encouragement again. You know, it's one thing to be in the dark and just not understand what's going on and be bitter and angry. But there's going to come a time where you, that turns around a little bit. God turns that around for you. And like you mentioned in Sunday school, You can let that one event shape you or you can let God use that one event to shape you. You never know what God is going to do with these things. Verse 20, she added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now think about the coincidences again. Up to this point, Naomi knew that somewhere in town there's a kinsman redeemer. And she knew who, what his name was. But she probably had no idea where he was at. Because I think if he'd have known where he was at, he, she'd have told Ruth, go to this guy's field. He's your relative. But she had no idea. He's in town somewhere. And all of a sudden, Ruth gets to go to the field, and she knows the name of Boaz, but she knows nothing about the kinsman redeemer thing. So the two of them kind of put their heads together, and they realize 
Man, God's, God is putting this together. Boaz could have existed without Naomi even knowing about him, let alone his name. She had been gone 10 years, wasn't involved in the family in 10 years. Ruth could have gleaned in that field and never met Boaz. Do you see how God's working it out? Even through the tragedy that they experienced, God was bringing them out. They lost their husband, their father, and now they're coming back. And all those things are devastating, but God is still able to work around that to redeem both of them, actually. So what's a kinsman redeemer? Leviticus 25 gives a description of that. I'm I'm just gonna give you some bullet points. The first thing that they are to do is they are to ensure that the hereditary property of the clan of Elimelech never passes out of the clan. In other words, his property has to stay with him. He just can't get rid of it. It's gotta come back to him at some point. The second point is he's supposed to maintain the freedom of the individuals within the clan by buying them back if they've sold themselves into slavery. Because they get poor, they sell, sell themselves as slaves. His job as a redeemer is to buy them back so now they are part of his property. And the third one, now this was unique, I didn't know this. I don't know if it still applies today. To track down and execute murderers of near relatives. I don't think that applies in today's society. But that was part of their job. Number four was to receive restitution money on behalf of a deceased victim of a crime. In other words, they're gonna be like the power of attorney. If someone dies and that the person who killed that person owes money, the redeemer is supposed to make sure he pays up. And number five, to ensure that justice is served in a lawsuit involving a relative. In other words, they're supposed to make sure that everything goes legally correct for the relative. So those are just the highlights of what it means to be a redeemer. Now, when Elimelech moved to Moab, he would have sold his property. He would have sold it because he's not coming back, and neither Ruth nor Naomi would be in a position to buy it back. They didn't have the money. However, Boaz could. And Naomi realized that Boaz could actually buy this property back. If he's a redeemer, that's his responsibility to buy it back and make sure it comes to Ruth. Now, whoever buys this property back would have to, as we're gonna find out later, has to marry Ruth because she comes with the property. And Boaz would be responsible for any children that Ruth may have had at that moment. And the land would go to Ruth when he died. It wouldn't be his. And they would go to Ruth's kids if they had any at that moment. And the kids would retain Elimelech's name, not Boaz's. So it was a lot of information that had to happen. A lot of things had to happen a lot of them all involved Ruth and not, not Boaz. He had to give up a lot in order to maintain and be the redeemer. So there was a lot of drama and a lot of things that he would have to consider before he wanted to do this. Now 21 goes on, Ruth 2.21. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, and I, I like, he keeps saying Moabitess in the author of the book. Again, trying to reiterate that she has a past and a background that is negative in people's eyes and she can't change it. He keeps using that term. It says, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go up with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. 
So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of, Mo, of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were fulfilled. Now the barley and wheat, there were two different times of the year that this happened. One was spring, one was fall. So there were, there were months that elapsed during this time. And, and the last verse says, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now I don't know if Ruth sees it yet, what's happening, but I think Naomi's beginning to see God working. She understood the kinsman redeemer rules. She saw what could happen. She knew who Boaz was. She was beginning to put the pieces together and Ruth didn't quite get it yet. But because of what Ruth was doing, Naomi was kind of being blessed because she's seen all these things line up for her. God used Ruth to turn Naomi's bitterness into gratitude. You know, we think about Ruth, the book is called Ruth, obviously, but I think part of the redeeming of Ruth is also the redeeming of Naomi because Naomi came back bitter and God is using all the situations to not only get rid of the bitterness but to rebuild Naomi's walk with himself. He begins to turn her unbelief into faith and despair into hope. And I thought about that. Ruth is the one who's trusting God and who is getting blessed right now by it? Naomi. Ruth hasn't got anything yet. She's still doing her thing. And I think one person trusting the Lord and obeying his will can change somebody else's life. You know, the Bible says when you're raising kids or if you marry an unbelieving spouse, the Bible says you never know how your life can affect them. And your kids can be blessed because of you. So what you do can affect other people, not just you. And I think that's one of the reasons that God tells the church to gather together, right? I, you know, I get the online thing for whatever's going on, but there's a reason that God tells us to come together because God uses other people to work in your life. Something that someone may say, and I've said this before, you may be blessed by somebody else in church, not from the sermon or the worship, but somebody else. Maybe their lifestyle is encouraging you or their prayers are encouraging you or their testimony encourages you. Something that someone else does could affect you and be a blessing to you because God uses other people to work in your life. We mentioned this last week. It doesn't happen usually. There's not a a check floating out of the mail coming down to you from God. God causes someone to write the check and mail it to you. God uses other people to bless you. God uses people to get his will accomplished in your life. And God may use someone to bless you, but you need to be here or around someone for that to happen. Now here's where the story gets a little bit interesting. I mentioned there's a time lapse between chapters two and three, two different times of the year this happens. So these transactions didn't happen overnight. It, it, was, it was months in the process. We think it happens like that, but it didn't. And a lot of times I think we just have to wait on what God's doing, keep on doing what we normally do while we wait for God to work. We don't wanna jump ahead of God. We don't wanna help God. I think that's what Abraham and Hagar did. They kinda helped God out, and we saw how that worked out for them. We wanna let God do what he's gonna do, and that be, it's gonna be in his timing. We have to wait for God's provision to happen. But it doesn't mean we just sit back on the couch and wait. Ruth kept gleaning. Ruth kept working. She kept doing what she was going to do. 
Chapter three, verse one. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Again, her attitude is continuing to shift. She's now, she's now wanting to help Ruth. Now, before when she left Moab, she was like, just stay here. Find a husband here. I don't want you hanging around. Just stay here. Now they're together, and she's now helping Ruth. Instead of looking out for herself, she wants now to help Ruth. She seems genuinely concerned about what happens in Ruth's life. And I think that's one of the things that happens as you grow as a Christian, you become more concerned about other people. You begin to have empathy and compassion for others. You see how God's been good to you and you see what God's doing for you and you know that God can do that for them and you have empathy for them. You really want to help them out and that's exactly what's happening to Naomi. Naomi. She's now really has empathy for Ruth. And you gotta get, I want you to take care of, I'm not gonna be here forever. You need someone to help you when I'm gone. Verse two goes on. Is not Boaz, whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash yourself, perfume yourself, and put on your best dress. Now remember, this was the era that parents arranged marriages. How many are still for that today? Well, there's no parents, so it's a mother-in-law that arranges the marriage, right? So this, she knew, or Naomi knew that there's other men that would want to marry Ruth. But she knew that the best fit for her would be Boaz. So she uh, takes her steps as the one who arranges the marriage to make sure that that happens, or at least find out what Boaz is thinking. She knew that marrying this redeemer would be the best for her, so she starts to make the arrangements to see where Boaz is thinking. And we've seen that Boaz has been favorable to Ruth. It seems like he's really reaching out to her and blessing her and you know, giving her special treatment. So Naomi needs to find out, okay, he's, he's taking an interest in her. Does he want to redeem her? Does he want to marry her? So Naomi, Naomi needs to find this out. And the one, there's only one way to find this out. Now, when you read this story, it seems kind of unique, right? Kind of a weird thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I have my seats tucked in. And if someone pulls that sheet up and exposes my feet, I'm waking up and thinking, what, what are you doing? So that's exactly what she's doing. She's getting her prepared to see what Boaz's response is going to be. Now, we think it's weird, but it was normal for their culture to do this. So Naomi tells her to get ready. First, take a bath. Now, we think that's no big deal today. But back then, water was scarce. So bathing would only be done for a special event. And the Jews had what they called a ceremonial washing. And those would precede a special event. So it appears that Naomi was telling Ruth to act like a bride for her wedding. Getting ready, this is the first thing you do. And since this is an example of Christ and believers, we're going to look at the analogy there. Boaz representing Christ, Ruth representing the church. How does, how does this apply to us? Well, God uses the term wash to refer to cleansing ourselves from sin. 2 Corinthians 7 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. 
First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word. In other words, you want to have a, you want to have a close relationship with Christ. You need, to, you need to allow Christ to wash the sin in our life away. You have to want to do that. You have to want to let God take the stuff out of your life that you know shouldn't be there. And we've all got it. We've all, we all sin, the Bible says we're all sinners. We keep sinning even after we're saved. Our job is to ask God to help us to sin less, to be forgiven when we do. Not only when we first come to Christ, when we allow him to wash the sins off, we have to do that daily because you can't go a day without sinning. You think you can, but you can't because there's so many definitions of how we offend God that you just can't make it. So, Lord, cleanse me. Show me where I'm sinning. Help me to repent of that and not do it again. You want to become more and more holy, less and less sinful. Let the word wash through you and get the sin rid. If you want to have that kind of a walk with Christ, you want to be close, you want to hear from God and let him hear from you, then the sin's got to go. You've got to wash that first. Verse 3 says, wash and perfume yourself. Now the King James uses the term anoint, which symbolizes a fragrant oil. Obviously used to make yourself smell good. Right? How many of you ladies use perfume? Guys, deodorant? It makes you nice to be around, right? A nice fragrance. You ever hang around someone who does not have a nice fragrance? Now, I, can't, I came across this article in Newsweek. This, it has to be a joke, but it's not, it's not said a joke. The title of the article says this. Evangelist David Havner says pastors who lack pungent body odor are not preaching a real sermon. (laughs) I gotta disagree. (laughs) I'm not sure where this guy's coming from, but you know what, I don't think so. (laughs) We, when I, I used to have an ushers class, I would teach the ushers and then we had a prayer team that were working and then I would tell them, look, make sure you take a shower. (laughs) Make sure you got breath mints because you're gonna be praying for someone real close. And how you smell is gonna make a difference on whether they receive your prayer or not, just a simple fact. So we wanna make sure that our life is pleasing. It's pleasant for people to be around. Oil is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit, which means our life should be directed by the Holy Spirit, and that should make us pleasant to be around. I think I mentioned this last week. What, you know, are you cantankerous? Are you grumpy all the time? Are you mad? You know, what's your fragrance? When you're out, what, what do people say? What do we reflect? Do we put off a good fragrance? Do people, are people attracted to us or more likely to Christ? Or are we pungent? In other words, our attitudes are not controlled by the Spirit and therefore people don't like to be around you. How many of you are going out to eat for Mother's Day today? We did that last year, and wait, like an hour and a half. But those of you who are going out, remember, 
Treat your waiters and waitresses well. Be an aroma. Let people see an attraction to you and to Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.16 says, to those who are perishing, we are a fearful smell of death and doom. In other words, the gospel, not us, but the gospel is offensive to people who are sinning and don't want to change. And it says, we're a fearful smell of death. However, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. In other words, people who really want to know the truth, we have the truth and we, our lifestyle should be a, a fragrant enough to attract them to Christ. Are we attractive to those whom we minister or do we repel them? It goes on, wash, perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Now, I'm pretty sure they probably didn't have a best clothes in their closet. She was a poor widow out gleaning in the field. So she wouldn't have had a, you know, a really nice outfit. But what she did have and what she was probably wearing was a widow's outfit, something that symbolized her as a widow. Clothing in the Bible also, also has a spiritual emphasis to it. Isaiah 61.10, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. Colossians 3.12, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Romans 13.14, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In Revelation 21.2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Want to enter into a deeper relationship? You want to have that close, tight-knit thing with God? We need to be sure that we're dressed in God's righteousness, not our works but God's righteousness, the Holy Spirit controlling our actions. Ecclesiastes 9.8 says, always be clothed in white, which means sin-free, confessed often. And always anoint your head with oil. In other words, let the Holy Spirit fill you and guide you. And now all these things Ruth does to present herself to Boaz, we need to do to present ourselves to Christ. In other words, we need to wash our sins away, ask God to forgive us. Fills with the Holy Spirit so that we are spiritually attractive and we have a fragrance of Christ about us so that Jesus comes through in all that we do. You ever meet someone who, who says they're a Christian but you, man, you just don't want to be around them? Just have a negative attitude, a negative vibe about everything. But then you find someone who you know has a relationship with Christ and those are the people you want to hang out with. You want to glean from them. You want to learn from them and you want their life to affect yours. That's what God's calling us to be, the ones that people want to hang around. Verse three and four, then go down to the threshing floor, she says, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Again, kind of weird. But this was the norm, this was the prescribed way, not a, not a really outlandish thing for them to do. And obviously, Boaz, when this happens, he knows what to do. So it was something that was common. And Naomi knew that if Boaz was as spiritual as she thought he was, he would understand the gesture and take it to the next step. Now, notice that Ruth had to go to him, initially, 
But once he went to him, everything else Boaz was responsible for. The Bible says that God the Father draws us to himself. Boaz was drawing her through her interaction on the field. The things he was doing for her, being good to her, giving her food, letting her thresh with the girls, all these things were drawing her to himself. But she had to go and make this choice on her own. She had to go to Boaz. We have to come to God in the manner he describes. God's always drawing us. God is wanting that relationship, but we have to go and make the first step and go towards him. We have to be humble, knowing that we have nothing to offer him. And when we do that, what happens? God takes it from there. God, I've got nothing for you. I can't give you anything that you don't have. My life is okay. It's not great. I can't give you anything, Lord, but I'm coming to you. God says, great, I'll take it from here. You know, we don't, we don't have people change and then come to Christ, right? We don't, we don't clean them up and then bring them to church. We bring them to church, let them know Jesus. God takes it from there. God cleans them up. God makes them who they want. And God cleans us up. God says, come to me as you are. Just come right now as you are. I'll renew your mind. I'll make you a new creation. I'll change your desires. I'll make everything about you new. But you have to take the first step. You've got to come to me and say, Lord, I, I trust you. Ruth had to make the first move. In verse 5 and 6, I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Notice, God's providence is working, but God's providence did not exclude human effort. She could have stayed home and said, you know, let Boaz come to you. Sit in the couch and let Boaz come to you. No, if you want God to work, you gotta take the step, you gotta come to Christ. It involves our involvement. And I mentioned this before, you're looking for a job, look for the job. Don't expect the job to come looking for you. God will direct you to the job for you. God's your provider, but you gotta take, get the resume together and go out and knock on doors. And I'm sure that Ruth, not being a Jew, didn't understand why she was being told to do this. But by faith, she obeyed. How many of you try to ask God a thousand questions before you attempt anything for God? Lord, I need you to clarify this for me before I do it. Now, I don't know about you, but God doesn't usually do that for me. <laughs> he says, do it, and I'll clarify it for you later. Ruth's like, you know, I don't get this, the feet thing, but I'm gonna do it. She didn't ask a million questions. Hey, Naomi, is this gonna work? Why do we do it this way, Naomi? Isn't there another way we can do this, Naomi? No. Just do this. Trust me, God will take it from there. We all probably have a thousand questions about why God does the things the way he does them. How many? But faith accepts what God is doing, and when we obey it by faith, we become blessed. I like this quote by a dude named Elton John, no, Elton Trueblood. Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. 
When God, when God draws you and wants to have a relationship with you through Christ, more often than not, we don't understand what's happening. You just know God's drawing you. You may have a thousand questions, you don't know what's happening, or what will happen after you make this choice for Christ. But you do it by faith. If you wait to have every question answered, you're never gonna experience the blessing of what God can do. When you step out in faith. Now it's not faith in faith, right? It's faith in Christ. We're gonna close with this. Do you feel God calling you to take some type of chance? Boaz was drawing Ruth. He was doing things in her life to get her attention. Do you feel God drawing you? Do you feel God putting things in your life to get your attention? May not be bad things, just may be different things. What is God putting in your path to get your attention? It might be for salvation, but it might be for something you've been praying for. But now God is telling you to step out in faith before you actually see it. What weird thing do you think God's asking you to do? It may seem weird to you or nerve-wracking to you, but God's going to ask you to do it before he explains why you're doing it. Right now, we have 100 free, one pizza, 100 free pizza cards from Jim and Nina's. Sitting in my, actually, sitting at the house right now. And we're going to pass them out to our neighbors. Okay, that sounded kind of weird. Because going door to door isn't the most comfortable thing. How many have ever done that? But unless we reach out to the neighbors, we never know, we're never gonna know what God can do with these things. Right now they're sitting on a desk somewhere, trying to put them together and get them ready to go. You never know what God is going to accomplish by stepping out and just doing something that he feels God is telling you to do. You don't understand what it's gonna accomplish, how it's gonna work, what's gonna do. All those questions, you, you can't answer all of them. If you feel God leading you to do something, verify it, be sure it's God, but step out and do it. I said before, you know, when I was taking the ordination, the presbyter said at the time, or the district superintendent said, I'd rather you make a thousand attempts for God and fail than not attempt anything for God because you're afraid to fail. You never know what's gonna happen and it may seem weird, it may seem unusual, but if God's telling you to do it, you feel God leading you to do it, you know what? Step out and see. The Bible says, God says, I'll take it from there. Now we're gonna see later on how Ruth's obedience resulted in a great blessing. And I believe that that same type of faith and obedience in us individually, as well as the church, can result in a great blessing as well. Would you stand as we close this morning? There was an old TV show that had a catch line that says, I love it when a plan comes together. And as Christians, I love it when I see God working.
When I see little things happening, things taking place, things that are happening that we've been praying for, I know that God's there. And I also think that I know that God's there because the enemy wants to get involved as well. But it's not like God has 51% power and the devil has 49% power. God has all the power and the devil has no power. And I believe that God continues to want to accomplish great things before he returns. And the verse that we're praying for, our loved ones, he is long-suffering, not wanting any to perish, but come to, the, come to repentance. Long-suffering. He's long-suffering because he doesn't want any to miss out. And I believe that as we continue to press on and continue to do God's work, that we are going to see great things happen. But there's going to come a time where this ends. Today, tomorrow, next week, 100 years from now, we don't know. But we do know as we've, we saw this morning, nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. Nobody. So we want to be sure that we have afforded everyone the opportunity to know Christ. Would you bow your heads in prayer for a moment? Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you work in everyone's life. As we're learning, you, you work out your plan to accomplish your purpose. Whatever negative things may happen, you still are able to work around that to bring us back to where we need to be and to where your plan continues to succeed. And Father, I pray again for this church that you would pour your Holy Spirit upon this church, that you would fill this place with your presence, that we would sense your presence every time we gather. And when we leave, we will realize that we've been blessed by you, whether it's from the sermon or the songs or just interaction with other people, Lord. We want to know that you're working in our life. And I pray for each person here that, Lord, you would let them experience that. I pray that those who are struggling, Lord, would be getting the victory over whatever is in their life. Restore relationships. Heal folks who are sick, Lord. You know who we've been, we've been praying for consistently. For those who have lost loved ones, be there for them in a way that we can't. And I just pray that the power of God is seen in each and every situation, that every week we hear of great miracles, great restorations, Lord, just a great peace that's able to fill us knowing that you're there. And Father, every time we hear one little thing, one little tidbit of your working, our faith explodes because we know that you're still there. Whether it's big or small, once we experience it, Lord, man, we just jump off and we're excited about it. So Father, I pray your blessings upon each one of us as we leave today. Bless all the moms and all the ladies out there. Let them have a great day today, Lord. And allow them to realize that you love them and you care for them. And you want the best for them as well. Guard their hearts, protect them, Lord, and allow them to experience your blessing every day. And the remainder of us, Lord, as we leave, let us experience your manifold blessings every day and allow us to translate those into the way we live so that people are able to see that we have a nice fragrance about us as well. 
Be with us as we leave today, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great Mother's Day. Enjoy the day. See you on Wednesday night.